Hello and welcome back to the show. David Scales here for Surf Splendor. I've got a slightly different formatted show for you today. I am here this week in Manly Beach on the outskirts of Sydney, Australia. And I am hanging out at the Visla Sydney Surf Pro all week long. They've got this shaping shack set up, and they have, um, in addition to the surf contest itself, they've got shapers kind of rotating in and out, displaying their wares um, and a laminating room that Donnie Brink is kind of responsible for, laminating some of the boards that come out of the shaping bay. Just a full kind of board building experience behind the contest venue. Really, really, really cool. Anyways, um, running into a lot of people, a lot of friends, and one of whom is Nick Carroll. And I was glad to see him, and we were catching up. And uh, I was like, so what are you doing here? What's your objective on site? And he said that he really wants to talk to Donald Brink about asymmetrical board design, and specifically why it really hasn't caught on so much in Australia. Nick sees a lot of it on Instagram. He sees a lot of California board builders experimenting with it. He sees California surfers riding those boards, even some really notable surfers. He sees a lot of people in the U.S. being open to the idea and less so in Australia. So he wanted to engage with Donald about that. And I was like, dude, let's get you guys on the mic. Like if you're going to have the conversation, let's get it on mic. So here it is. You won't hear my voice throughout this episode, but these are two among my favorite people, Nick Carroll and Donald Brink. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I hope that you enjoy the show. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks. How exciting. Um, Well, let's see. There's two of us here at David's magnificent, um, specially prepared recording studio uh, right here at North Stain in Sydney. And um, uh, I'm one of the people. My name's Nick Carroll, and uh, I'm sitting opposite... Magnificent Donald Brink, uh, the famed surfboard designer. And uh, Don, you've just been out here, I guess, uh, for a little while now, um, partly on family duty, but also partly to kind of showcase um, yours and perhaps other people's design work uh, here at the Vistler Sydney Pro. Is that what it's called? The Sydney Surf Pro? Vistler Sydney Pro, yes. (laughs) See how much I know. Like, I'm supposed to be the guy who's supposed to know this stuff. Oh, well. Well, Don, I have something that I was hoping to explore with you a little bit. Firstly, it's an honour to be chatting with you and once again see you. So thank you, Nick. And yeah, just stoked to be in Australia, just to tee up on that. And yeah, being part of Whistler and the interaction they've set up here, it's um, so great to, for one, meet all the Australian shapers that are coming into shape and build boards, but also to showcase the handcraft of it, which I'm so passionate about, but to display it in front of the public, a real audience making real boards for real people that we're going to surf right in front of them. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the MO of the whole operation and the motto behind the creators and innovators that Vistler's put together. So such an honour to be here. And, and, yeah, look forward to the chat. <laughs> Good. Oh, look. Um, uh, Don, when I've been to South Africa, uh, and I'll just put aside um, any of the social issues involved in both uh, South Africa and uh, Australia, and for that matter the US, and just think about the coastlines. Um, I've always felt myself respond really instinctively to South African coastlines because they feel so much like here. Correct. Uh, do you feel that when you come here? Absolutely. So this is my second trip to Australia, um, but my first time actually spending a little bit of time in Sydney, down the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast. And that was great. Like those right-hand point breaks are kind of an anomaly in my world. Like, wow, that was that was amazing. But yeah, I think the undulations of the coastline here 
I haven't been here in the winter time and I'd be really interested to see how things change around and turn on. You know what I think it is to get down to the nitty gritty? <laughs> I love the pun, but it's the the size of the grains of sand on these beach breaks. Yeah. And I just felt like even body surfing right now, the way the waves change and watching them go through the tides, I feel it's like the diameter of the sand grains that move the banks and position them. It almost changes the obviously changes the wave but almost changes the top of the curl of the wave is what i've noticed and that's just been from the last few days watching so i'm wondering if that's what it's like because the south african south coast where the warm water is obviously durban and so on and so forth reminds me a lot of that yeah 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 huge similarities and even the structure of the surf zones you know headlands long beaches headlands beaches build up of sand in one place little reef somewhere else uh and and the wind and, mm-hmm. and the air is essentially the same. It's just moving in that giant girdle around the bottom of the world and just swirling up every now and touching the coast. Mm-hmm. You get those subtleties, you know. Uh, there's a subtly here right now just starting to blow. Um, you get subtleties in Durban coming up the coast, I imagine. Yep. Uh, just sloping up from uh, down south. Yeah, really similar dynamic. And it's interesting you mentioned the curve of the wave because one of the things I was thinking about with surfboards over the last couple of days, I've thought about coming and seeing you here and um, talking to other surfboard designers who are involved in this um, effort here in Sydney at this event, uh, is the way in which um, curves fit together, right? Like yes. the, the waves are curved, surfboards are curved, and it's understanding how those curves match each other is what helps you create uh, your surfing for yourself. But um, it's looking at, the curve of a wave that must sometimes inspire a designer to, to shape a certain type of surfboard. Is that true for you? It's true for me. I hope it's true for everyone. I mean, that's what you're doing. I'll, I'll explain it this way is, you know, I'd been shaping for a, for a long time and when I moved to California from South Africa, I kind of got the back backdoor introduction to all the shapers. My wife's family was really close friends with a lot of them. And uh, so it was kind of like, oh, you got to meet this guy and this guy. And I got invited to go and meet Terry Martin, who became a really dear, dear friend. And watching him cross-cut a rocker in, which we couldn't do at home because the blanks would tear so much, I knew exactly what he was doing. I hadn't seen it done to that proficiency. But I knew exactly what he was doing and watched him cross-cut and he put the rocker in. And I've since learned and shaped that way too, still today. But um, when I'm teaching somebody to shape or walking through a board with somebody, See, I'll show them the curve and then show them the adjustment we're making to a curve if we're accelerating the rocker or dropping it, lowering it. A lot of people can't see that, and I didn't know that. Right. And so I don't think that you can't teach anyone to shape, and I don't think anyone can't see eventually with a trained eye, but the study of a compound curve is essentially what we're doing, and waves do that, but so do boards. So if you break it down to rail for plan shape and then rocker, rail rocker line, stringer rocker line, and you break it down into these fundamental elements, you can actually start to control one of them with a cohesion to how it's affecting another. And that's what every board shaper should know. And that's how you start to control the meat and potatoes, I like to call it, but it's like the bottom contour versus the wide point versus the overall rocker profile. That's what you're playing with. And once you start to understand those, you can can break the rules a little bit because it's with reference to what you're making in the rest part of the board. Right, right. Um, did thinking about those different curves in a board, uh, because that's one of the 
thoughts you've got there, isn't it? That there's mm-hmm. different curves all, all the way through a surfboard yep. and that's kind of what makes a surfboard dynamic as opposed to being kind of static. Yep. Is the curves change from stringer to rail to everything. Correct. Is, is that kind of what led you toward asymmetric design? Because the, that's yeah. just such an extreme version in a way of, <laughs> of trying to change curves. Yeah, for me, moving to California was, I mean, I was so in love with surfboards, but the surf history and the, available, the availability to the old and retro shapes was, it was limited. I got my hands on anything old I could see, surf or study. But at the end of the day, when I moved to California and walked into the Hobie factory in particular, it was like a Boom. wealth. I mean, it, you were in the museum, but they were handing me boards to ride. Like, oh, try this, try that. And on those, I'm going to call them softer, mushy waves of California, yep. they were consistently fun and broke a lot of the time. But the variety of surf is what I'd missed from South Africa. Riding those wide-tailed fishes in particular was so refreshing, except they got really difficult for my limited ability, I'd say, a beach break. Right. So, you know, I understood that the straighter and longer you make a board, the faster it will go, the harder it will be to turn. So, you know, once you <laughs> start to understand, well, I can make you go faster, but how do I help you turn? I can make you turn really well, but I can never give you enough drive. So if you break those elements and look at them at, say, the bookends of a design, I was like, well... How about if I can make a couple adjustments according to what I'm understanding that I can have the same sensation but make it more freeing and more forgiving when I go to a more demanding, quicker response, say, beach break wave. And that's really how I started. And, yeah, a few, like, a few years later it led to, like, being able to meet Cole Ekstrom and listening to what he has been doing for years and years and years. Right. I definitely didn't invent this stuff, but it was the first time I was like, wow. And I think any designer left alone would come up with these things it's not rocket science it's a little bit about rocket sure but it's it's just that curve like you said you know adjusting it with reference to another part so if you can make a good surfboard i challenge anyone that you can make a better one if you're willing to be brave and boldly move those curves to depend on something else which you've already made right so if you look at say the toe rail the toe side of the board is much the same and i always want to stay within the flavor of the design in question Okay. So if it's a thruster, a twin fin, and this is performance, especially groveling boards, you know, not talking long boards and so on and so forth. Stay within the flavor and make that available with more ease more often. So I don't want to make a new wild pony or a crazy horse. I don't want you to relearn how to surf. Take your muscle memory, your reference from how you are able to surf, your technique, the flavor and hand which, which you're trying to design towards and make some changes accordingly. That's right. all it is. Right. Now... When I've looked at asymmetric boards in the past, I've often thought, well, it's like they're two boards in one, you know, um, that the designer's taken the elements of a certain kind of board and then grafted onto the elements of a certain other kind of board. Is that how you've approached it? Never. (laughs) Expand, please. I, I like that, and I think it's a good way to explain a surfboard, especially when stuff looks a little odd. My challenge to that statement is... That could be the best surfboard you've ever ridden, but you might have to learn how to ride it. Now, that's true for most boards, but these days people get on a board. If you can't please them within two sessions, you've probably built a dog. Not many people spend enough time, and that's a challenge to any surfboard brand. And it's good because it's elevated design, but I don't like to look at a board as... I don't like to isolate the elements. The whole thing needs to work together cohesively. And if you make too brave of a change on one side it will unbalance the changes from which we've referenced, like I said. 
So I always look at a board as a whole, look at a grand view of the whole thing, a bird's eye perspective. So we used to say, and I'm working with Channel Islands on a potential collaboration together, and I only bring it up because the discussions that I've had in great detail with certain parts of a certain board, in, and so we're now isolating elements, but with reference with Aaron Smith, he's the production manager there, and Brett Merrick, and we, we actually had to come down and sit at the conference table and say, you know what, we talk that we're only on one rail at a time. And it's, that's really how we surf, and it's a great way to explain technique and look at a board, except the whole thing's working together. And if you start twisting and bending things, everything's fine except for the transition from that one rail to the other. Yep. That can get weird, and that starts to get into the hydrodynamic flows of things, and you have to look at a board as a whole cohesive craft, I guess, odd mm. piece. I don't, I don't know, but it, I always look at the whole thing. Right, right. Now... Yeah. Just speaking in terms of applied design, you know, how people embrace it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I know a lot of surfers in California, of my acquaintance anyway, um, and I'm sure ones I don't know anything about, uh, <laughs> uh, have, have reacted with such enthusiasm mm. to asymmetry and design, some of them riding your boards, some riding other people's boards, but... Um, the asymmetry seems to do something for them that uh, they weren't gaining from other types of surfboards. And I'm not talking about people who are exceptionally brilliant surfers either. I'm just talking about people who just love to go surfing and um, maybe they're not perfect styles or anything, then they're not competing professionally or anything like that, but all of a sudden they're finding something in asymmetry that they weren't able to find in symmetry. Mm. Um I'm sure you've had plenty of conversations with people who've ridden your boards and, and had that experience. Can you enlighten me as to what you think they're finding and what you think they're missing? Well, thank you for that. And, yeah, there have been some really good responses. I mean, for the most part, you know, every now and again you'll maybe challenge somebody too much with a board and that's on me, remake those ones, here to make customers happy. But... I'll take it back to the ethos of why I do what I do and why I'm committed to keep doing it. And I used to say, like, the tagline was always, enjoy your water. I'm just, I think it's such a privilege to play in the sea, and I want to help people cultivate that fascination, hence a surfboard. But it's come to, to, to succinctly say it is, I think, of helping you surf the way you're standing. So I build stance-specific boards. Now, when you take an intermediate surfer, perhaps somebody who's looking to improve their surfing so they're constantly working on technique, Technique will always dominate design. It, it, it trumps design every time. So we're always going to. I always want to save technique first, and now we can bring design in to help whatever ability you're trying to perfect or get to. And those guys actually end up getting the most out of it because if you have a little bit of a weaker or poor technique, on the, especially the back end, most of the changes I make is to improve the backside bottom turn and let that not stick that'll be your first time you falter if you can get it for the bottom turn without sticking and then hold a high line on the backside yeah now you can see how that pertains well to a good small wave grobbling board with a wider outline the feedback has been incredible because people start to not blow waves right which then lets them go to the beach I, I often think you get more reps if you just finish your waves so building a board that is more forgiving in places of where you need the most help but then doesn't get in the way of doing what you can do. Right. That's going to help anybody surf. So that's where the smiles come from, and I'm I'm proud to be part of that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like you mentioned something there that you know you're building for stance. Yes. Uh, the surfers 
natural stance, and this is any surfer who's ever surfed, really, uh, your natural stance is asymmetric. The balance of the body is not symmetrical Correct. when you're standing sideways on a surfboard. Uh, you put more weight in some places than others. Correct. Uh, part of the battle for any surfer is to like figure out how to put weight in parts of the board where maybe their body doesn't want them to. Mm. Once they figure that out, they can kill it, right? <laughs> um, it, okay, I, I'm not sure how to phrase this, but like, I wonder if how much that's played into your thinking. It's everything. Um, yeah, embracing embracing the strengths of one's body orientation. So you've got an incredible amount of leverage on your toes, say. But on your heels, you can keep adding weight into a turn, but you can't take it away. So if I can make the board essentially react quicker, but then be more forgiving, as though you're heavier on one rail, yep. that, that would be of help. So, you know, go to a, few se- a twisted rocker, a move of a fin, an adjusted wind point, and a change in the tail shape. Those things working together to a fine degree will help that. One thing I do want to bring, bring up right now, since we're sitting in Australia, is I build stance-specific boards. That's the focus I've I put everything into that. So if you're regular foot or goofy foot, left foot forward, right foot forward. Now, Australian history is incredible and actually has a probably a bigger wealth of asymmetry in its books that, than any other country or part of designers. And I don't want to um, confuse the difference between building a board that's directional-specific in other words, the Gold Coast, all those right-hand point breaks, you know. Right. So that's one way to embrace asymmetry. The other way is I feel like stance-specific. I still feel whether you're a goofy footer or a regular footer, doesn't matter if you're surfing left or right, if you can help whichever way you're standing. So if you rock up to snapper and you're a goofy footer, well, wouldn't it still be of value to have changed the board for being on your heels as opposed to just for that wave? Yeah. Could, 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 and, I, and I still think you could do both, but... That's kind of the division, and I want to honour all the Australian designers for many years, and many still do, is shape wave-specific asymmetrical boards, and I'm stance-specific. So I'm not saying they're different, it's just that it's an embrace of design. Right. So that's all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that. I was just only recently thinking back to um, the shape of Jeff McCoy and how he used to mm. shape Larry Blair's pipeline boards, and he put a little twist in them. Oh. So the, the twist would fit what Pipe wanted Larry to do yes. and what Larry wanted to do in that pipe. But those boards sucked backside, right? Like they were all about trimming into the barrel at Pipe and, uh, you know, you weren't going to do that at backdoor. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's great thinking. It's just limited to that one wave. Which isn't bad. I mean, you look at how nuanced industrial design is. Like if you're going to pick up a pair of scissors that is made for a right-handed person, it's going to be way more efficient than... You know, one that's designed ambidextrally. Is that the way it was said? Well, bilateral symmetry. But it's it's once you start looking at a surfboard and how custom and tailored and how personal surfing really is, you really have to look at, you, you're working with surfers. The ocean doesn't care. Nobody else cares. That The memories you talk, you walk away from from the sea from within a session, is it's a very personal thing. But I always think of how much effort needs to go in to make those memories last because then you can take them into the rest of your life and it makes a difference. So that's kind of why I adopt and look so carefully and on a design as a whole right? because we're designing to have more fun in the ocean. Surfing's already difficult to do. Why not make it easier? 
it's always going to be difficult to do and that's why technique is always going to be the most important thing but making these subtle changes it's been so fun and so rewarding yeah and uh yeah it's cool <laughs> <laughs> now a, a lot of designers i know have, have come up with uh great design thinking become kind of like really like preachers for that idea you know like and they'll just spend lots of their time just telling everybody uh how great what they're doing is and how everything that everyone else is doing is kind of wrong because (laughs) and and i understand that motive right but you seem to me to not be taking that road you're not particularly kind of proselytizing the idea of a symmetry to other designers or making them uh, follow your path in this that's such an honor that you've noted that and I go to great lengths not to try and do that, but it's just how I operate. And I, I think what, what it is, and I'll come back to this. I got goose flesh just thinking about it. Look at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Uh. Um, I think it's incredibly difficult to make any good surfboard. So that's, that's, that's the first point. The second point is that might not be a good board for somebody and it might be a good board for somebody else. Now, people ask me, are there bad boards out there? Look, there's some poor hydrodynamic concepts being applied. There's also some poor craftsmanship. So put those aside and I look at a board. It's really difficult to make a really good surfboard. Mm -hmm. We're making complicated things when you're trying to make something that works and lasts and is still lightweight and then holds up against the demands of the ocean and the ultraviolet light. So I look at surfboards as the most amazingly beautiful, complex crafts. I don't care if it's symmetrical. I don't care if it's blue. I'd prefer it not to be black because of the heat. <laughs> but, you know, I look at them as beautiful, and I'm just passionate about that. So I'm, I'm an advocate for asymmetry, sure, but I never want to preach what I'm doing because I'm always wanting to learn how can I make my boards better because I make them all by hand, which means I don't sell that many, which means I'm trying to make a living. But... If we grow surfing as a whole, we're all going to benefit and hopefully we can keep the ocean clean. But if we look at this as a longer study, if we advocates for design and good surfboards that work well and last, that's going to be better off for everyone because people will surf better. We can make enough of the right equipment that works and lasts and doesn't land up in the wrong place with the minimal waste. So to me, that's a bigger category. It's a more important task. So I try and have a little bit of a longer view. And yeah, I, I think it's, I just love surfboards. God, <laughs> <laughs> I, I picked up on that. Isn't I, it great though? Like I just, I, I'm so honored and blessed to have found something that I love so early on in my life. And I do other things too, but the last 20 years have pretty much been singly focused on getting the boards to a place where I'm not happy with my boards yet. Every day they're getting better. And that's that's also why you never sort of throw the gauntlet down like, this is it. And maybe that comes from not, you know, computerizing or digitizing any files and stuff, right. which I'm not against at all. Like, that, it's just not my program. But every day I wake up and, like, if I don't have the right energy of the day and coming in with a good attitude, that's going to come out in the work. Right. And so maybe that makes a difference too. So thanks for picking up on that. That's such an honor. But, yeah. yeah. Now, you just discussed uh, talking to the Channel Islands crew. Does, mm. do, does your design thinking bleed off into other um, uh, manufacturers' operations at all? Uh, this is the first time I've um, been part of a collaboration. I approached Channel Islands, so that was kind of on me. But, you know, being part of Whistler, which is such an honour, and being an ambassador of the brand, you know, the concept is creators and innovators. 
And I walked in there, I was like, look, this has been really creative. This building a board, building any board is a real creative act. But until we're actually affecting the market as a whole, in other words, inspiring design, making an offering through a model or a product, I don't really think we're being innovative. This conversation is an honor to have because maybe someone will listen to it, walk away with confidence to do what they're doing or apply what they're trying or thinking about. That's right. the most important thing is to act on what you believe and think about. That's how this came about. So, yeah, we, we, we're working on things. We've got a bunch of prototypes out there. Some of the best guys have been, had some good feedback. We've had some really good success and really good results. I'm going to put my bang the table right there and say, I don't think unless unless you're twisting the rocker, you cannot make the other changes as bravely as I would want to without maintaining cohesion. So it's really exciting. I, I think in the in the next two two years, it's going to be interesting to see where surfboards go. In the next five years, I think we're going to be looking back on this conversation and this last few years and go, wow, that was really an exciting time and I'm excited to be part of that. But I just don't want to put something out there that I don't believe in, but that doesn't bring smiles the first time you ride it. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, okay. Now, we're here at an event where there's like, you know, there's Kelly's here, right? Yeah. You know, he's pretty good. Um, but uh, in, a, in in generally speaking, what you're seeing out the front here in uh, in at, uh, North Stain right now is like the best qualifying type surfers there are in the world and they're just all out there frothing. Like I've been watching them warming up and, you know, it's kind of reminiscent of like maybe junior surfers about 10 or 15 years ago. That was where the heat was. It feels to me like... The QS is kind of where a lot of heat is now. There's like a lot of really good younger surfers in the world just, you know, and they go out and surf like this. It's like two feet today and not that great, but they're just going out and putting it on. Um, are any of those people coming to you for boards? No. How come? Well, I would love them to come. So, yeah, please come. <laughs> but, you know, you know what it is is, um, you know, Let's take anyone on that QS right now who's been riding for somebody for a number of years. To 
to break the confidence or trust with the relationship they have with a with an established shaper would be a difficult thing to do and i really really honor and respect that so you don't want to tread on toes and even say maybe i make him a magic board to make six of them that are all good quick enough and ship them to a part of the world that's important like i don't have that infrastructure so to be honest like i'm not sure that i even i could make one board and maybe open some ideas and open some minds. I've been doing a couple of boards with the Gadakas brothers and, you know, that's fun. But until we bring it to a level where the distribution, the customer service, the team managers, all those things are involved, that's, I think, been a, not a red flag, but something that will have to take a scale to be um, adopted. And I, I just think, I think it is good that people are sensitive of treading on toes with relationships with shapers and that kind of thing. But... I'd, I'd, I'd love to build boards for more experienced surfers, and I've done it over time, absolutely. But, you know, I think that's also coming in this market is like branch out, get something different, work on something new because it's going to help both your shaper, your surfing, but the rest of the industry too. So I'm looking at Groms going like, wow, and, and they buy pro models that they should never be riding in the first place. But if pros didn't just look to a twin fin to have fun on, but look to something maybe a little more alternative, like maybe an asymmetric or even a mid-length or something, and use their in-between days or in-between sessions to be experimenting on that, that's going to that's gonna lead Groms to look at it and go, oh, I can relate to that. And they see the same people validating other designs. Because mm. you want to market top-down, I understand how that works, but when you look at surfing, if we're using the best to market down, we need to use the best to market across designs. And I like that people are focused on certain things, but I still think you need to be an overall all-round waterman like yourself. Hmm. You have to, you, I mean, the sea changes every day. You've got to be out there on the 20-foot days and you've got to be body surfing on the one-foot days. Like, there's, there can't be a more passionate romance. I mean, yeah, maybe you're more focused on one, but you've got to enjoy all the disciplines, in my opinion. And I think that's, this is a bold statement, but I think that's kind of where surfing's going, where the total waterman package is going to be more relatable because that's what's going to be nurtured in terms of passing down legacies through your family like right. if, if a father does that a son might do that yeah which is beautiful if a father does it a daughter might do that but what you what you're generating is overall appreciation for the ocean right and that's important that's beyond surfing that's beyond design that's beyond continents and beyond borders and it creates a global community of I'm in this all together instead of like I'm a performance surfer I surf till my knees get out and then I stop surfing what a shame as opposed to like looking at some of the kids now that can do everything and by the time they're proficient with good technique they can hang tin paddle a gun maybe this hydrofoil thing's incredibly like interesting too and then rip on a shortboard too it's it's i think that's the difference that we're seeing right now and i think it's it's that's the way to, it's got to go right right what do you think about that is that is that an accurate assessment yeah you know it just seems to me like surf culture's broadened out a lot mm. over the last you know, 20, 25 years, and that's mainly been demographic. I mean, people underrate the sheer demographic power of, um, you know, chunks of population moving mm. through their ages and the way that changes the cultures they inhabit. And so surfing culture's broadened out a lot, I think, in the last 20 years because there's just a lot of different kinds of people doing it. There's, like, four-year-old kids and there's you know, people of my age and there's people 20 years older than me still surfing and so everyone beautiful. in between, you know. It's, it, yeah. it's extraordinary, that side of it. It's like 
probably like maybe how Hawaii was many, many years ago. You know, that might actually be the true uh, expression of the surf culture. Yeah. Um, just that broad breadth. But just speaking of that, Don, um, what one of the things that triggered me to want to speak with you today was that um, California has really embraced asymmetric design uh, right through the mid section of the surfing population it's it's one of those changes uh in how people think about boards that are driven by the the center of the surf culture not from the top not from the bottom but just from right in the middle people have been surfing a while and they get on a board and they go wow it's changed my surfing a little bit um and that hasn't happened here in australia uh there hasn't been an asymmetric revolution if you like i'm just Wondering if, like, have you have any theories as to why that is? Is it Australian surfers? You've, you've said, like, Aussie board makers have experimented with it for many years. Have, have they just passed through that curve, or what's going on there? It's difficult to answer for a, an industry that I'm really not part of, but I'll give my observation and maybe forecast why I think that's happened. I think that's the question. You know, when you look at a surfboard, like I said, they're difficult to make in the first part. Once you start opening extra cans of worms, it's it's even more difficult. <laughs> I'm not saying my boards are more difficult to make, but essentially we've added more variables to get right. Now, the amount of surfers in Australia is staggering, and I love how this country embraces surf as a culture and a lifestyle. It's so beautiful sitting in the city council meeting this morning and just left listening to them validate the contest being in town and the value they see in that is, is beautiful. So... When I look at the demand for the amount of boards that need to get made and are getting made, mm. look, it's a mechanized industry. It's automated for the most part. So, yeah. you know, coming into that, it's going to be um, the smaller manufacturers that want to sort of focus on this and get it right. That'll probably going to be offering that. And hence the, the collaboration with Channel Islands. Like if we can get a couple of these under the feet, I think it's going to not change the tide, but once again, validate design. So when I look at Australian surfing, I think there's just not enough time to sit and fuss around and figure these things out and mess around with it. I'm happy to share anything I've learned across the way because I'm always wanting to help, you know, rising tide floats all boats if we can elevate anything. But, yeah, it, it takes a little time, you know. you gotta, you got you got to put your hours in and, and understand exactly how to control what you're doing, especially for custom orders. So that demographic you talked about, that sort of, you know, profession sort of middle of the market person coming in to look at the board to elevate whatever their experience is. That's an expensive, probably resin job, nice investment surfboard. Will that take somebody who's going to walk them through that and give them the service that they're looking for? So stocking the shops with hundreds and hundreds of boards is yet to be done. I think that will help. But I just think everyone's been too busy. You know, the industry <laughs> looks like it's happening here. <laughs> Why go and add cans of worms to an already, already difficult recipe? But like you said, and I think you observed that, is like we can't deny this anymore. Asymmetry's on the it's on the chopping block, and mm. you know, I th I honestly think everyone's going to go have a crack at it, and that's so exciting to me because <laughs> yeah. there's great minds out there with wealths of experience. And even this week, I've been here for a few days, but the last two days, shaping with all the people coming through and you know, watching them shape and helping out in the shaping bay and all that stuff. You learn, you share ideas, and next year those relationships will be even deeper and the conversations and the experiments a year later 
So in three years' time, you can just imagine this, just the effect of this event, how that's going to change this conversation in the landscape today. Right. Who are you looking forward to meeting in this? Um, Simon Anderson. Simon? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you why. I grew up surfing a downrailed 80s flat deck thruster. It was a safari board shaped in Durban, South Africa, but it was essentially a, a, it was essentially a Simon. It, it was kind of like that energy era, you know. And um, the, my last trip to Australia, we went, um, oh, when I met you in Avalon. Right. At that board. So right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we picked up, picked up a pretty nice one. It had a few dings in it, but 100 bucks. Pretty good looking, full, legit thruster, downrailed, hard chine all the way through to the nose, flat deck, and I think it was about five, eight and a half, maybe maybe 19 inches. I didn't bring boards with me, and I surfed that board on the last trip. Huh. And it really, it, it, it just felt right to be in Australia, surfing a thruster, under the Simon level. I, I don't know, I, I just hold a lot of respect for what he's done in surfing. I've never met him before, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'll just fan out and watch and maybe get a handshake along the way, but... I'm I'm uh, honoured to be around all these shapers. It's kind of weird to be a part of a conversation that that um, people are looking to you like maybe just because you did something different. But like I said, I love every surfboard. So it's watching what everyone's doing. Nick Blair came in there yesterday, and he just this is crazy fireball fish channel bottom. He just punched the thing out so fast. Like his proficiency on the tools was so great to see. So that's that's really exciting. I've met Morris Cole, Morris or Maurice Cole, either way, I guess. Uh, met him a few times. I think we're gonna have a, a good couple of conversations. His um, his life view right now sounds so interesting to me. So I'm looking forward to having a coffee with him. And one more, who who was the other one? I was really looking forward to meeting. Um, oh, Andrew Mooney came through this morning, and everyone was like, "Oh, you got to meet Andrew." So we got to say hi, but looking forward to having a beer with him or something. Yeah, yeah, Mooney's classic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they all are, and that's what's so funny, but, yeah, when I'm going to fan out, I'd really love to meet Simon Anderson. That'd be cool. I've read his book, you know. That's cool. Hear that, Simon? Simon, you got fans. Uh, yeah, you I can imagine how you'd react to that. I've got fans. He's got many of them, <laughs> and rightly so. Great. Well, uh, can, Dave, I, I, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go right ahead. Please be honest. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you look at these, not my boards, but when you look at these asymmetrical boards and when you look at surfing, are you looking at that with hopeful eyes or are you looking at, at it with um, silver bullet sceptical eyes? <sighs> Probably a bit of both. That's an honest know? answer. I like, like that. I'm, like I'm pretty much both those things. Mm. Like I'm um, more optimistic than some readers would like me to be. Um, but I'm also more sceptical than a lot of, certainly a lot of professional surfers would like me to be. Mm. Um, uh, and I look at an asymmetry like this uh, on a personal level, like like as a surfer, right? Because um, I used to ride asymmetric boards designed by Alan Byrne mm. um, back in the 1980s. We played with the symmetry quite a bit. We did it differently. We did like short rail on the front side, uh, long rail on the heel side. Yes. Um, and I found it real cool. I learned a couple of things in my surfing because of that, just especially just the amount of power you could you could use on the heel side. Like I found like you could drive that longer rail and it just changed cutbacks. Like I started moving differently and then I took that on, onto other boards and just went, wow, okay, I learned something from that. Um, but those asymmetrics didn't change very much in any other aspect. Like they were still just the six-channel recipe straight up. Um, 
you know, concave coming back to a V bottom uh, thrusters and uh, there weren't really major changes to the rocker line. Uh, it just naturally the rocker line ended earlier because the outline ended earlier sure. on one side. And uh, after a while we kind of like thought, you know, we're not really getting anywhere with this. And so we just fell back into pintails and swallows and <clears throat> they just seemed to go just as good so we just kind of left it at that, you know. Um, but it was only later I started looking at some of the boards you'd made and, and started thinking a little bit differently again about it and realising, well, and then I'd hear from friends of mine who, like, weren't the red-hot surfers, but they were just suddenly finding things in the surfing that they hadn't been able to experience. And I could immediately see you'd clean something out of the way of, of technique, you know. So suddenly technique wasn't so dominant for those surfers, you know, that they could they could relax into themselves a little bit more. Helping you surf the way you stand? Yeah, <laughs> helping surf the way you stand. Um, and I still haven't gone down that road myself. I guess I've got other kind of priorities for myself in surfing at the moment. But um, I'd, like most surfers, I'd li- I like to surf anything. Man. Like I'll surf any freaking thing, not a foil, because they scare me. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, like I watch my brother surfing a foil and he's like scared of it. <laughs> so I'm just like anything that scares Tom I should be very wary about. But um, – yeah, any other kind of board, it's a constant stimulation and I think it's true of most surfers and, yeah, I'm pretty sure symmetry's got natural place in surfing. Maybe it's a little bit difficult for people to get their heads around the manufacturing and the sale mm-hmm. uh, of a board that can only work for a goofy foot, for instance, or apparently can only work for a goofy foot. Um, maybe they're a bit shy of that. And rightly so. I mean, it's an investment and it's... you. Making a brave leap investing in something that's already difficult to do and already difficult to understand. We yeah. don't have a glossary of terms. Yeah. That's one thing too. And that's fine as long as we're discussing sensations and using adjectives to describe that rather than talking technical about elements, which I think is part of what we need to do is train people on what a board's doing and which elements are at play. But at the end of the day, it comes down to stoke and feeling. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand your board but it makes you happy, what a, what a win. Huge win. It's a huge win. And... And I actually want to say that I'm sceptical about where we are right now too and the effects of asymmetry. Not to say I've figured it all out, but like I say, I'd I'd hate to shoot this category in the foot if people just built things weird to look good on Instagram. That would really suck. And it can drive us in a wrong direction. So approach with caution, craft with accuracy, and I think we can make some winners and it's all about moving the thing forward gently slowly pushing finding new ground and I, I honestly think it's probably the most understudied thing in surfboard design to date yeah and it is more difficult because we're adding elements but i understand people's caution i understand the reluctancy to embrace this concept but when i look at it i i i, I just can't not i feel like it's the best boards i know how to build and i don't want to give up on it and it comes from the sensations and the smiles so mm. it's helped me it's helped others and i love building them so that's personal but when I look at Australian surfing in particular, it's so honouring to be in these on these shores and on this coastline. It's so exciting to see where this goes in terms of the mainstream understanding. And, uh, yeah, it's fun just to watch what's going to happen. It is. Uh, uh, yeah. I do have to, just on a, a last note from me anyways, uh, something that nobody's really kind of considered in the whole asymmetry game is, is that for many years... 
Uh, a lot of the surfboards everybody surfed were asymmetric. Just they weren't supposed to be, but they were. <laughs> They're uh, all asymmetric. I always say that. <laughs> just hilarious. Like, you know, um, talk with Morris Cole a lot about this. You know, some of the best boards he's shaped were kind of almost hopelessly asymmetric. You know, like they would be out by quite a bit. The famous six foot nine yeah. board that he made for Tom Curran in 1990 that Tom used to just storm the tour and just basically won his. Uh, amazing trials to title, world title on that board. He just came out and won the first two events. Boom, boom. Yeah. That board was, you know, not wildly asymmetric, but it was definitely asymmetric. It was not yeah. what Morris thought he was making. And he tried to make Tom a replacement, and that board was symmetrical and it didn't go as good. And Tom kind of <laughs> just does what he does with boards, which is just left it somewhere. So he didn't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. But that 6.9, he hung on to it for a long time and then somebody surfed it and snapped it in France a couple of years later. But, yeah, that, hopelessly asymmetric and it worked insane. So, Well, that, that's just a testament to what I was saying. You have to maintain cohesion bef- between all the elements. And, yeah, just, be th- just because things don't measure out straight, the magic was there because they were working together. Mm-hmm. So now don't go and miss misread me and say you can make all these changes and as long as they're working together i'm making the changes according to better the design but if they then remain in harmony you have a better sensation overall in terms of the the craft being a whole so always looking at it as a whole and yeah the magic ones they're all working together every part of it you know so yeah fantastic thank you so much don for spending time with us today and are you kidding me um, such an honor yeah i really uh enjoy speaking with you and like most surfers I'm vaguely obsessed by surfboard design and uh, while I'm not on the asymmetric train right now I'm sure I will be at some point in the next couple of years well done you know mine yeah well I'm going straight to you mate don't you worry that's an honour thanks thank you David Thank you so much, Nick Carroll, for hosting today's show. Geez, I think this is the first time we've ever had a guest host. And uh, thank you, as always, Donald Brink, for uh, always enlightening us with design and theory and just interesting perspective on all things. Donald Brink actually has his own podcast that we support on this network. It is called Swell With My Soul. So definitely check that out. And he's got Lots of interesting stuff going on over there and just very, very different than any of the shows that you normally hear my voice on. So I hope that you enjoy that. I am going to wrap up my next couple of days of work here in Sydney at the Visla Sydney Surf Pro. I've got amazing opportunities to connect with some shapers that I don't want to quite reveal yet. Stuff falls through, so we will just reveal those in due time. And uh, But lots, lots, lots of good stuff to come, so... Excited for that. You can follow it all on surfsplendorpodcast.com and on social media at surfsplendor. All right, until next week, this is David Scales reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.